This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll. When I started playing drums, like later in my teens, I wanted to like, it was more important for me to look like Clem Burke, you know, the Blondie's drummer. Okay. Yeah. And for me, it was more about the look. How, how are my toms set up? How is all, in, as, as opposed to like, I, which is, I mean, I should have done it, but like, I, I didn't think in terms of like, I've got to keep good time. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. Meet the boys, cause the boys are here. The boys to entertain you. <laughs> um, welcome to Curious Creatures. Uh, this is Budgie in, 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 not in Berlin, actually. Budgie in the south of France. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles, as always, in California. Our esteemed guest this evening, Fred Armisen. You are with us, but where are you? I'm in Los Angeles also. I'm probably not... Uh, far from law at all. Oh, okay, good. I, I, I somewhere, somewhere came. Um, it ain't half 
heart mum. Do you remember? Have you heard of this, Fred? Mm. What is that? It ain't ha- it ain't half ot. <laughs> I can't even say it. And it was it was this kind of British uh, sitcom based uh, around the British Army officers and the the rookies and everybody else somewhere in India. It was a terribly <laughs> you would not get away with it today because it was full of all the worst. Um, oh, it had ter- terrible jokes, terrible accents, and everything. But we we remember all those shows, and so we just sort of speak them at each other. People think we're <laughs> oh yes, you know, oh yes, oh yes, no, little little demented. They had this kind of gang show thing, and there was all the cast of characters doing the meet the boys, cause the boys are here, the boys to entertain you, you, you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take much to make me laugh. I feel bad that I missed out on all of it. Every time, every time I hear about how. Um, people in England grew up and like what they grew up around. i always get a little like, I don't know if it's envious. It's not envious really. It's like jealousy. Yeah. Just like all the TV you grew up on and all the like high quality chocolate and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I'm happy with the way I, I was brought up. I don't, I don't mind any of that. I don't mean it in that way, but it sounds so fun. Well, when we when we grew up, we, we didn't have much um, selection, did we? There was like, what, one, two, two, maybe two channels on television, and they didn't run all the time. So there was a lot of downtime where you just stared at what they call the um, the transmission card or something, just a blank screen. Right. And when we got BBC Two, it was a little girl with a teddy bear and a paintbrush. She didn't move, but she, it was actually, you could, what, look, you could ex- yeah, I wonder who uh, it was. She's probably about 80 by now. <laughs> the worst thing about it was Saturday night, because that's when you got family television. And so it would be... Good things like the Beatles from um, the uh, London Palladium. The thing that, that I remember is the only time I actually sort of agreed with Morrissey was like Sunday. Sunday television was so bad. Do you remember it started It started with like there was like some kind of quasi-religious program at about five. Yeah. And then there was the Antiques Roadshow, which is – the the most boring program ever if you're 17 you know and so every day was like sunday and it was, we had to leave wow yes and when did it change over when did it, it from the two channels 1960 something or other mm, good question <laughs> no it couldn't have been I, I could i wouldn't remember 67 gotta be i'd say color television came in i'd say around about 1973 or something like that really that late or should I say it arrived in our house around about that time? Yeah. Because I remember the little guy coming in through the door with his screwdriver going like, why do you want it? And it was like a new box, a new box with a screw on the wall and a new selector for your television. And um, that wasn't the color thing. That was just to get BBC Two. Yeah. <laughs> to come and physically install a new TV channel. When Colour TV came in, we were the only only people in our street to have a Colour TV. So Ooh. everybody would come round, and I would be I would be like I was uh, like you know five or no probably about seven. I'd be sandwiched between two old ladies on the couch. You know, like I couldn't get out of it. Yeah, the Colour TV. It wasn't Colour TV like we know it. It was, you know, it was these sort of amorphous blobs moving around that (laughs) were like vaguely colour. But no matter what you describe, I still picture it as quaint. Yes. It was quaint, but with (laughs) with a sort of aura of desperation as well. You know, that's why punk started, because of the the desperation part of it all. But um, my brothers told me, 
that in the early days of television in the UK, sort of like early 60s and stuff, there was pirate TV. And my brother would have all his friends round at 4 a.m. And Bertrand Russell... Like pirate radio. Yeah, he pirated the, the TV waves and he was broadcasting at 4 a.m. Oh, wow. Yeah, like this sort of, you know, to and you had to know about it. You know, if you were like on the CND march for, you know, Aldermaston or whatever, you, you knew about these things. And my brother... So when I was a kid, I would remember like all these long-haired hippie guys coming around our house at like midnight and staying there like you know aren't you gonna go to sleep now no no we're watching the tv at <laughs> 4 a.m they're watching bertrand russell and stuff it was it was crazy where did you guys keep your drums at when you started playing like Classically here, it would be like the attic or a garage. But where was your, what room was your drum kit, your first drum kit? We had no attic and we had no car. We had no garage. My first drum kit came from the secondhand store on North 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 Road, uh, the Mike Pie's Nest. It was like, like a kit put together from bits of several kits. Now, I don't know where it lived. It kind of lived hidden in we had like one long room because it used to be two rooms and my dad being handy with a hammer knocked down the connecting wall a bit like the beatles house in hard days night or help where you know it was cool they all went into a separate terrace door i told my dad i wanted a sunken floor like the beatles had but um he said no we, we'd have to dig down that's cold <laughs> down there you can't go in there but but i do remember that when let's see it was like um if it was a weekday I get the kit out and I'd be playing. And then I hear my sister's key in the lock because my sister came home first. And, and I'd scramble and get everything away and just like, <laughs> and she goes, it's okay. We can hear you two blocks away. You know, I heard you, you've been playing the drums. And that's, that's when I had to devise uh, a way of making them less loud, yeah. which I did by putting um, day glow carpet slipper fabric because there was a carpet slipper manufacturing place around the corner and they get got off cuts and they were lime green and pale blue and yellow and oh wow. and, and then you so without gaffer tapes and you put them on the head and when you hit the drum they bounced up the drum rang out and then they fell back down again i love it and and they look cute <laughs> and you could do that thing you know when you have it's like it's like nylon fur and when you stroke them they kind of move and they they like like a little caterpillar. Oh. So you do that as well. So not yeah, I had a, a damping system and a, and a source of entertainment as well for myself. <laughs> After I stole the snare drum from school and brought it home and attempted to smuggle it into my bedroom where I would record, you know, like Buddy Rich's snare drum rudiments. I was trying to learn all those things, you know, your parry diddles and flowers and stuff. And my mother came in. I still have the cassette, the recording, like you know, Lawrence. What have you got there? You know, I was very guilty with this snare drums in there. So, so I had to get rid of that. So I made myself a practice kit because my drum kit didn't live at home either. It lived at Robert's house because Robert's parents built this. They remodeled their house and put like a, what, a room on the side that they were going to use for like Christmas and parties and things. And we just moved in. We just wheeled Robert's 
Marshall, as it was at the time, wheeled the Marshall in, put my drum kit in there, and and they had an organ, like an old harmonium thing, and we put that in there. So that it's like you know, every so often they would try and take over again, but we would man the barricades, and we were in there for three years. So so I built a practice kit out of old bits of wood wow. and rubber because I, I worked at this rubber laboratory, so I had lots of rubber. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, I got the rubber. I sound like, I sound like it's, it sounded like sort of um, the Artful Dodger and Fagin, you know, oh, I've got lots of rubber. I'm, tr- I'm trying to picture it, this rubber rubber drum kit. Yeah, uh, well, it had rubber yeah. on the top, but the, the worst <laughs> thing was every time, like, I figured out a way to put the, the kick pedal on, and but every time I hit it, the whole thing would lurch forward. So I was sort of like, and in the end, I figured out I've got to put it against the wall. But that was my sister's bedroom wall, and she hated the sound of it. Like you know, so you know, in the end, I had to abandon that one too. That's a good beat. That that's a good beat. What what were you playing on then? That sounded good. I like that. That that's, that's just the table. What kind of a job was that? The uh, rubber manufacturer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, How does a company like that even exist that hires <laughs> No, it's probably similar to the carpet slipper shop, you know, around the corner where I live. Yeah, that's what Now, listen, Bull and I both mentioned sisters. Did you have any siblings, uh, Fred? Yeah, a, a, young, a younger sister. Um, I have an older half-brother who I didn't grow up with in, in Germany, where my dad is from, but I grew up with my sister. And... Um, uh, I can't imagine what it was like for her to like have to hear drums all the time. You know? <laughs> How much younger than you was was she? Two years. Two, same as me. I have a younger sister. She took over on the piano in the end. We had a piano in the house. And so she decided, okay, if you're going to make all that noise, banging things, I'm, I'm going to play the piano. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> What made you, I mean, these are like questions we would have probably been asked on Joe Wong's um, trap, 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 something or other. Trap set. <laughs> trap set. I was going to say trap case. I couldn't get the word out. Um, but what, 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 brought, what led you to the kit, Fred? What, was it a song? Was it watch seeing somebody? What was the first song you heard where you knew you wanted to play the drums? I'm trying to do my Joe Wong impression. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That's, that's nice, yes. Uh, that was very good. Um, for me, it was uh, like 1970, maybe 73 or 74. My family uh, lived in Brazil. We lived in Rio de Janeiro for just a couple of years. And then at the record store there, my mom got me Beatle records. Um, even though they were, you know, they were sort of mixed in with Wings records and stuff or, or Hand on the Run or whatever. And then, um, but they were like collections, these Brazilian collection, Beatle collections on the Odeon label or something. And then we got Magical Mystery Tour and then uh, I Am the Walrus. So the beginning, like that fill, I remember it so vividly, the feeling of what is that? More than anything in that song, I was really connected to that fill. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
my brother, who was 10, 10 years older than me, he had the Magical Mystery Tour in mono. It was it, not, thought nothing of it because that's what we had. I mean, he had a stereo record deck with a speaker, satellite speaker. But when I got my copy some several years later, it was in stereo. And it was a, it was, it was enlightenment suddenly on Blue Jay Way or is it the Fool on the Hill? The Fool on the Hill has like a kind of flock of birds that fly from left to right across the stereo picture. Whereas prior to that, they were all down in the middle there somewhere, all piled on top of each other. Wow. I don't know if it was like, you know, enhanced stereo where it was all mixed in mono yeah. or whether they mixed in stereo and then were like, oh, this is uh, sounding much better in the studio, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's... um. I think my my the record that made me want to play drums was uh, Axis Boulder's Love. Mitch Mitchell at the end of that album, and it's like all the drums are phased and stuff. And I was like, first time I heard it, I was like, I can't hear this. I can't hear it. it's too much. How can you do that with two bits of wood in your hand and your feet? How can you make that sound? Wow. You know? And so after that, I was kind of lost. See, yeah. you, that, they're both very cool, the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. And, and, and I could say the same. But I think mine came a little later um, because it had to be my discovery. But it was happened to be, um, I thought it was the, the most uncool answer I could give. But um, recently I heard the Ramones also like this band. And they, 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 they kind of replicated S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y, Night, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. Oh, yeah. And that, that was the Bay City Rollers. And the song that I heard them do, and I don't know if those guys played it, but it was called Keep On Dancing. Wow. And it went, keep play it with my fingers now, but back, and I just thought, I want to do that. How does he do that? It's so fast. And I just sang it. Then it was a mountain, and I thought, "How do you do that?" Yeah, and that's when I, that's what I, I started looking for clues. And Louis Belson. Ah, oh. yeah, it is what it's like. It's like looking for clues. Yeah, because you hear it, like trying to figure out how how the sound. And then I started hearing um, Ian Pace with Deep Purple, and thinking, "What is what? How how do you do that?" I couldn't even yeah. figure out how yeah. you could put it in your head. To do. I remember trying to play Paranoid by Black Sabbath because that was a big hit in, this, in our school. It right. was the one that, you know, if you, if you had like enough guts, you could get up on the dance floor and be a grebo. That's a, that's a, that's a slang. It's a slang word for greaser. Yeah. You know, it's like some kind of muscle building dance. And how do you do that and keep it steady? Keeping it steady wasn't that the hardest thing? That song is so well designed for teenagers. Yes, that's such a like they really had every teenager's number when they came up with that riff and that beat. <laughs> They're just like. It's got to work with all of them. Okay, this is going to be it. Because it was the same in my high school. And and in my high school, it was, this was, you know, years after the fact. And I, it's just everyone was so into it. When was it, did, you, we, did we realize, or did one realize, that it wasn't just 
isn't that great fill and that fills really cool but when you had to play in time and keep it in time when you realized that it was more than having just fun on the kit when did that happen so when you're with your friends like and someone one of your other friends learned the guitar so you're like oh let's let's play and it's that it's it's like a feeling you're like oh i guess i just have to keep going keep going keep going keep going yeah did you hear drummers that did speed up you would notice them speeding up and go oh that doesn't sound good i don't mean like famous drummers but you heard other people playing the drums and all that. i didn't have i didn't have an ear for that yeah i think i might have been the drummer who sped up <laughs> i did I was definitely the drummer that sped up. I, I I wasn't thinking about tempo. I was more like when I was a, like when I started playing drums like later in my teens, I wanted to like it was more important for me to look like Clem Burke, you know, the Blondie's drummer. Okay. Yeah. And for me it was more about the look. How how are my toms set up? How is all you know, as, as opposed to like yeah. I, which is I mean, I should have done it, but like I, I didn't think in terms of like, I've got to keep good time. Ah, you see, that's I, that was not the first thing on my list. It was more visual. Uh, you mentioned Clem Burke, and the British version of Clem was um, John Mayer with Buzzcocks. They both had premier drum kits. They both had the toms kind of like Ginger Baker, really flat. They both had yeah. cymbals, which were pasty, and they went <laughs> all the time. Yeah, and they did ridiculously fast fills. And they were just always on the cymbals. It was kind of always that. I, I saw John Mayer and I just thought, yeah, he's cool. Not, not just because he just looked cool. Yeah. And Rat Scabies were the damned. Yeah. Rat Scabies had yeah. two toms mounted on a floor stand. Yes. And a bass drum kind of off center. I thought, that looks like the Hawkwind drum kit I remember on that album cover. Only, only with one bass drum. And I thought, yeah. that's because Punk only has one bass drum, but he had two bass drums. And he hasn't got two bass drums now. But I like that look. Do you, do you remember when you you heard the first um, the, f the first damned single? Which New Rose? Was New Rose. Yeah. Right. Yeah, here. Scabies. Da, 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 da. Ba, 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 ba. It was just yeah. like, yeah, I really, I like that. Oh, fantastic. He's really one of the greats for sure. Well, I, I'm in New York, where I grew up on Long Island, we got the damned in a, a, a different way. They like a, I think I would say like machine gun etiquette is like the first oh, that we heard right. with love song and all that. So to us, that was like, that was early damned to us. Like, whoa, what's this band? Right. They were so melodic. Um, but you guys, I feel like we're, yeah, you, got, you guys got to hear it. They were, they were kind of close to us because, um, my, Michael, my, Mickey D, the first bass player in The Cure, his mother taught at a school with Rat Scabies' mum. She was also a teacher. So we always thought, if we meet her, do we have to call her Mrs. Scabies? We, we were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of funny. But yeah, they were all like local, really. But it was always down at Eric's in Liverpool, in Matthew Street, opposite where the old Cavern Club used, would be for the Beatles starting off and everything. And. Roger Eagle was the promoter there, and he seemed to get everybody ahead of the tabloids. So we had The Damned came down, Dave yeah. Vanian. He, he seemed to have like a plastic mask on his face. And he was like a, looked like a, like what you, like a good undertaker would going to work. 
with the hair scraped back and greased back. It looked amazing. Yeah. Can't remember what Captain looked like. He just looked like Captain. And there's Brian James. Well, he had a mohair jumper on all the Probably time. Probably a mohair jumper, the kind of baggy sleeves and everything. Scabies, shirt off, spitting, gobbing. Yeah, you know, Brian James, yeah. the rocker. The, just the rocker. I persuaded my mother. My mother didn't. My, my mother didn't really understand, like, you know, punk rock. Well, she tried to, you know, like in, uh, in breakfast in the morning, she'd go, she would, she would have a copy of the Melody Maker and she'd have a cup of tea and she'd be going, I quite like the new Clash single. You know, I go, what? What, what are you talking about? How do you know about this stuff? <laughs> anyway, so I said to her, she really wanted to be involved somehow, you know, because I was like the youngest son and last one to leave home and that. So she said, you know, I can knit. And I said, okay, a black mohair jumper then, please. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and and she, she made it for me, and I wore it for oh. years. It was beautiful. The only thing was, though, she wouldn't put the holes in it. Like I said, no, it's got to have a hole here. No. And I said, I can't do that. All the stitches will fall apart. I said, yeah, that's the idea. And she's like, no. I'll have to give it to you like this, and then you do what you like with it. You know, it what? Well, that's a good compromise. She's like, I'm not going to go all the way punk, but... I'll provide the material. Yeah, yeah. And she did, and it was beautiful. Do you guys, do you remember when you were a little kid and you saw, this is before you were drumming, but like going past a little, you know, a shop or a gazebo or something, like a public area, and you'd see a drum kit. I don't mean like for sale. Um, like for me, it would be like uh, you go to, to an amusement park and there's like a little whatever, Dixieland band or like, or maybe a wedding or some sort of celebration. Oh. I just remember seeing drum kits and my eyes would just go right to it. I didn't, you know, you're like, what is that? That's so professional. Whoa, a kick pedal. Yeah. I, I wonder, I, th- I wonder if drummers go through that. I didn't really get that until... I was about 13 and we used to go to this youth club and, and it was the Methodist youth club. Although we weren't Methodists, we, they'd allow us in and they had a band that would play there called painted orange. And I thought they were, were like really, really good. You know, they, they had the bassist that had one of those huge basses with the big, big horns sort of, you know, like it was as large as his torso. Uh, but the drummer had a drum kit. And I remember on the front head, said painted orange and i thought wow wow he's got his name the name of the band on the front head i was like that, that's that's what i want you know and uh so i had to wait many years for that i think the first the first word you said tonight fred would you know about british television i think it was that about drums it was envy i was envious of the guy at the back that had that thing i don't recall it were I saw I certainly heard a lot of music from my bedroom window in summers. I remember here there was a bandstand in the local park, and they'd be playing like things like Walking the Dog, um, it's like kind of what we used to call rhythm and blues, boom, jabum, boom, jing, bing, jing, that kind of, and 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 you could hear the bass because the bass, as I found out many years later, would travel farther, and so there'd be a beat and a bass line. And not a lot else. And I was trying to figure out what songs they were playing from the beat and the bass line. 
And my my first love was walking past. I think it was called um, Heaton's or or or, 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 or uh, something like music house or something on the main high street in our little town and there was a brown rogers drum kit and and i just looked at this thing and thought i love that brown rogers it was wood finish and and i kept thinking about it and i eventually found one in the music um fur or something or whatever it was but it that that was the one i was aiming for and i got the little premier red sparkle you so you got it. You got that Rogers kit then. I didn't get the Rogers. I got the I got the Olympic red sparkle from the Magpie's Nest, and they threw in a, a bass drum they couldn't sell because it was nicotine stained, rather apt for for somebody who was destined for the Banshees. Nicotine stained. <laughs> <laughs> there was a hiatus in in my drumming world because I, I had to become. Um, I thought I got to leave St Helens and um, and become an artist. I wanted to be a painter, so I went to Liverpool to study fine art. And it was only when somebody knocked on my door and said, "You play drums," I said, "No, don't. No, haven't played drums. Don't don't listen to music." And they were guys from my hometown who'd, who'd fat- tracked me down, you know, from the local newspaper in the cabaret days, and said, "No, we know you play drums." We're playing tomorrow night uh, down at Eric, supporting Susie and the Banshees. And I said, "Who?" And no idea. And um, they, um, we went down that that the next night. And of course, there was no gig, and they got the dates mixed up, and we hadn't even rehearsed. <laughs> I, I think I found a drum kit, but um, it was literally that. That's when I thought we started to form a band, and they, I think, they brought along the Clash's first album. And that, that was really my reintroduction to listening to music again. Prior to that, it was Brian Eno and Evening Star and Ambient, ambient Zoned Out and <laughs> yeah, self-analysis. <laughs> so was there, was there um, like for us, there was a music store in town which basically stole all the money from us as teenagers for years and years and years and put us into like deals, which were totally, you know, like usurp every, every kind of moral code, you know, like my first drum kit, I had to take my mother down there to vouch for me and co-sign. And I didn't finish paying off for this thing. I bought it when I was like 15. I didn't finish paying off of it till I was 26. And it, and it probably cost right the modern equivalent of about a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah, you know, it just sort of went on and on and on and on this big thing, and um, then so I started with I had a, a was that the HP agreement? Yes, yes, higher purchase. Right, I had I had a a Maxwin Norgahide gold Norgahide kit, which had stands which were about the sizes of, of pencils. You know, so like every time you hit the the, the crash it'd just fall over so you know, that was so me and Robert would wedge it against his amp so it wouldn't fall over so I swapped that with them with this shop called Down Under I don't know if it's still there I hope, hope they don't sue me but I swapped it with um, for a, an orange premier kit thought, well that's really cool and then the final one before I started to get you know people come in to say would you like a kit I uh, I got um dark blue 
premiere kit with concert toms because they were the things no no bottom head you know just like the top head and that and that was the last thing and that but we we spent so much money and there's so much time as well and listened to, like the first flight cases we ever had made that they, they made them for us and they they lasted on a trip to australia and i remember sitting on the plane looking out of the plane and seeing these these paper thin cases come off the, <laughs> the plane for with my hi-hat stand sticking out of a hole in one corner of it and other bits sticking, you know it was just like it was ridiculous but it was you know a passage it's kind of like going to guitar center but it wasn't it was like about the size of my house this place with these you know, nefarious characters that worked there so where, where where did you hang out you know at the beginning of it all um, do you mean for um, uh, buying equipment? Yeah, buying equipment and starting your first bands and getting, you know, where, where did it coalesce? For me, it was in, on Long Island, a suburb of New York City. And the place to get instruments was either like, I think Sam Goody, even though it was a record store, I think they had like equipment in the back. And my first kit was just a used kit that my, we got from the newspaper or something that my parents bought me. And one, there's a guitar that I got from a Sears catalog. We had this department store called Sears, and they had guitars that, you know, or stuff that you could buy. And it was awesome. It was great. Because back then I didn't think of it as like, this is just from a catalog. This is like, whoa, a working electric guitar, you know, uh, same, same with the drum equipment. So we'd get little bits and pieces, but um, it was just, now it's so weird to think you could just go to the store and just buy a couple symbols. Back then it was impossible. Like none of us, even we were suburban, but I still didn't have any money to go like buy a new snare. No, no, we used to steal them. No. That's right. I remember. I remember sending off for a, a, a snare one time. I saw this advert in the paper for a snare, and it said snare. Uh, and it was like one one pound, and I I wrote and sent them the you know the the thing for it, and that and they wrote back to me and said, "You realise this is not the snare drum we're selling; it's just oh. the snare, the wires at the bottom." And I I was like, "Oh my god, I thought I was going to get a drum <laughs> for a pound." I just pictured you, uh, your face of disappointment, even though you're an adult. I pictured you as a little kid going, "Oh yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, you know, I mean, you know." life's lessons right yeah curious creatures is presented by lol tolhurst and budgie producer joe wong producer and audio design dan didier executive producer mark cates associate producer sophie wilde Associate Producer and Digital Marketing, Marge Taylor. Visual Designer, Justin Thomas K. Music Production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant Editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2024.